March March 25th, I'm, I'm looking forward to having my, my dad come uh, and share. Um, it's, it's been a while since he's been here uh, to, to preach. Uh, in fact, probably maybe seven years since he's been here to preach. And uh, like I said, he is, he is one of my favorites, is my favorite uh, pastor, preacher uh, to listen to. And um, just give opportunity, if you've got some thought about my preaching, then you can see him uh, because he's been my, my most dominant influence on, on me, even unconsciously in how I preach. And, uh, but it is going to be a special time. He, he shared with me and asked a question. I uh, said, well, what do you want the revival to be about? Uh, what's, what's needed in your church? I was like, well, just our hearts need to be changed. Our hearts need to be changed, and uh, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, is very powerful to that end, and, um, and he's going to, to do that, share the Word of God by the Spirit of God, and um, I just, uh, I, I want you to, to put it on your calendar, uh, March 25th to 28th, to, to be a point to be here. Um, I don't think you'll be disappointed, and uh, in fact, if there's some who like to host that time, uh, as far as providing a meal for him and uh, mom. Uh, let me know, and I uh, will be glad to accommodate that as well. Uh, so, uh, I think I uh, hear some pages starting to uh, settle down. So, I think most of you are, are getting uh, to this point. But, Jonah, uh, I preached on this passage uh, at a church 14 years ago, and um, I've not preached since then. But, I, I, I re- when I preached on this passage, it was powerful in my life. Um, it was done as a a selection of the church to say, okay, when we're dealing with racism, how do we, how should we handle this? And I picked the book of Jonah and I had no idea how powerful it is against the thinking of racism. Um, but it's so much more than that. And I hope that you get much more from that. And it's, it was powerful in my time 14 years ago by looking at my notes from back then and I realized, man, how much God has been working in my life up to this point, and that it's still very challenging my life, and I look at it in a, in a different way, and it, it is within this, this thought of broadcasting. We've, we've been talking about broadcasting the gospel, broadcasting love out loud, um, that, that it is upon a church, upon every believer, to be verbally sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, to know what God has done in our life, and to be willing to share with someone else, looking to share with someone else, what God has done and wants to do in someone's life. Jonah is a powerful book in that you see failure to broadcast. What does it look like to have failure to broadcast? And if you are in radio or in TV, one of the worst things that can happen is something called dead air, when nothing is on the sound waves. Um, that is just a, a huge error uh, in, in working those fields. And, and I would present to you that a church that is not broadcasting, that is silent in its witness, is a huge error in that community. Uh, Jonah is one such person uh, who, the book is unique in that most of the Bible, the prophets, it's about the message. It's about the message being given to a people. But in the book of Jonah, it's about the messenger. Uh, it's, It's not even really about Nineveh. Uh, we, we see them, but the book is primarily about God's working in Jonah's life. Uh, and we're going to see ourselves in Jonah. We're going to see ourselves in Nineveh. 
Uh, and hopefully we're going to see God and learn of who he is as we study this book together. Um, I had originally thought two weeks we'll get it done, but I'm, I'm kind of hesitant about that now. Um, but it's a powerful, just a few pages. In fact, you just turn a page, you're at the end in, in four chapters. And so we're going to look uh, primarily at uh, chapter 1. If we get to chapter 2, that's great. Uh, I'm not very optimistic about that. But let's go to uh, Jonah chapter 1 and um, really look at uh, the first 16 verses of Jonah chapter 1. And so in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And, and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to them, what is this that you have done? For the man knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you? That the sea may quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him to the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You may be seated. There's a lot to be learned in this passage. One of the things you learn is that God is the God of second chances. But I want us to look first at the call of Jonah. We're going to learn some lessons about who God is uh, from the call of Jonah. Then we'll look at the rebellion of Jonah. And then finally, the deliverance of Jonah. Verses 1 and 2 just simply state, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And I love the fact that it gives specifics. The son of Amittai saying, in other words, I want you to know exactly who this is. A lot of this book is known to many people because of the great fish that swallowed Jonah. And consequently, it's often looked at as a myth. You remember that story, the great fish that swallowed Jonah? 
and, and that is the idea is that this is not believable. Uh, but I would present to you that Jonah is a historical figure. We see his name mentioned other places, another place in the Bible. We'll, we'll refer to that. Uh, Jesus regarded him in Matthew chapter 12 as a real person. Matthew 16, he again made reference to Jonah. Matthew 12, verse 40. Matthew 16, verse 4. Jesus regarded him as a prophet. And so if we are going to say Jonah is not a real person, or this didn't really happen, then just understand you are at odds with Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to go with Jesus over you. Okay? Uh, And so Jesus regards him as a real person and, and that these events really did happen. And I'm just going to go on the testimony of Jesus. And if, by the way, if God can make the world with a word, if he can make light with a word, if he can rise from the dead and call others by saying their name to rise from the dead, then it's really not that far out of the reach that God can provide a great fish to swallow a human and have them existent and surviving. And three days later, we get spit up. That's really not out far out if we believe in a God, we believe in Jesus, we believe in resurrection. Uh, our tenets of faith, the fact that we're Christians, is based on the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead. If you go there, when it comes to God, nothing is impossible with God. And that's just something that it, it's not really unbe- that unbelievable or inconceivable if we have a God like that. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, and notice what it says, That great city, it is a notable-sized city of influence, and here's the message, I want you to call out against it. You are going to give a message of doom, for the evil has come up before me. So it's a great city, and it's also a very wicked city, and and. The scripture says that all sin is equal or is not equal, is is wicked before God, is abhorrent before God. But you see different passages that kind of speak of a special abhorrence before God. That there is something where a local city, a local group of people and their wicked actions come up before God where God says, I'm going to call down judgment early. All right. Whether it's the whole world and Noah and Noah or whether it's Pharaoh and the Egyptians against the Israelites, uh, There are sometimes, you see in the Bible, where that happens. And so it's the idea of this wickedness that is offensive to the very nostrils of God. It it is coming up against him. He smells, he sees this wickedness and it is against him. And so he says, I want you to go and send the word of doom. This is not the gospel. All right? This is not good news. I want you to preach bad news. Now, uh, I want you to understand the call of Jonah, not only the message of what he was giving and where he was going, but you need to know who Jonah is. To do that, go to 2 Kings chapter 14. Keep your fingers in Noah because you finally found it, all right? Don't want to lose it. 2 Kings 14, verse 23 through 27. We have some insight into the times uh, and specifically in Noah's life. In this passage... Understand that God is speaking to Israel. Israel has been split up from Judah. They have two different kings. Israel, the northern uh, kingdom. Judah, the southern kingdom. Judah takes the the lineage of David as their king. Uh, Jeroboam revolts against Rehoboam. um, And they start a whole new lineage. 
of kings. Okay? Now, Israel starts off worshiping idols so that their people won't go down to Jerusalem to worship the true God. And it starts off that way. It continues that way. Israel as a nation never sees a revival of turning as a nation to God. It is followed by one bad king after the other. That's where Jonah's at. That's his nation. That's whom he is working toward. So 2 Kings 14, verse 23, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. This is Jeroboam the second. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. And he restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from gath Hepher. And notice, for the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or flee, free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So God extends some mercy to this nation of Israel, not because they turned to God, but because God had made a promise they wouldn't get wiped out. So God just out of mercy said, you guys are wicked, you've not turned to me, but because of my faithfulness, because of the word I gave to Jonah, you're going to be saved. So, what kind of nation does Jonah live in? He lives in a wicked nation. What's his job? He's prophet. He's regarded as prophet. In fact, he, he kind of takes Elisha, Elisha's place and follows Elisha. And his job is to preach the word of God to a nation that has turned from God and has never turned to God. So let me ask you, what kind of need did Jonah have around him? What was his home like? They needed Jonah. They needed a word from God. Now go to Jonah, chapter 1, verse 2. Knowing that context, what does God say? Arise, go to Nineveh. Nineveh is another nation. It's of the Assyrians. It's about 500 miles away from where Jonah is presently at. It's a significant journey. God calls Jonah on a short-term mission project. Understand something. He is leaving a place that needs to hear a word from God. There are plenty of lost people around him. Plenty of lost people around him. Yet he goes 500 miles away to another nation. Why? Because God told him to. Simple. It's not logic. It's not need. It's just God told him to. Do you understand that? I say that. I emphasize that because we hear the same things today. Why do we go other places? There are plenty of lost people in Nightdale, in North Carolina, in North America, and I would say amen. There's 5.6 million unchurched in North Carolina. But why would anybody go somewhere else? 
It's not logic-based. It's not need-based. It's simply because the king has told us to. And we go not according to logic. We go according to king. And I'm going to just say to you that Jonah had a pretty clear word. We have even more clear word. It's written in black and white for us. If we ever doubt of it, just go back to what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go into the nations. Go baptizing them, teaching them all things that I've commanded you. And so we're to make disciples, and it's to be everywhere. So I'm just going to say to you that Jonah is in very much the same spot that the New Testament believer is in today. That's the call of Jonah. Now, where is he going? All right, let me tell you a little bit about Nineveh. It has um, had a pretty bad reputation of brutal. Uh, in fact, I was a little just grossed out by reading about it. Um, it, 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 was, it, was, it was bad. Um, they had one, uh, the grandson of Snackerib, he, had a, he would rip lips off and rip hands off uh, of those he, he would take captive. Um, and, and that was the more sanitized version, okay? <laughs> um, um, all right. They would impel people, put them out in the streets, outside the city gates. Um, women, children, uh, men, as a word of warning, don't mess with us. They had a mountain of skulls outside the city, as a word of warning, don't mess with us. Um, just forgive me for a little bit, but I want, I want you to understand, they would skin people alive um, and take that skin and put it on the walls. And it gets worse. They would take those, those bodies and still alive, bury them up to their head in sand, skinless. Um, take the tongues out, stake it, and just leave them like that. I mean, I, you see what I mean? I mean, this is just nasty. Uh, now, here's the thing. There were enemies of Israel. There were enemies of Israel. In fact, it wouldn't be that much longer after Jonah comes that Assyria wipes out Israel. And that's the type of people that's coming in and the kingdom's no more. So, you can imagine Jonah and getting this word. Arise, go to Nineveh. What's his reaction? No, <laughs> I don't want to go to Nineveh. But it might be for different reasons that you think. Um, I mean, the options are, okay, they won't listen and then they'll kill me. Or they will listen. And what will God do then? And I'm going to say that his fears were more in this ladder. He wanted the Assyrians to be killed by God. He wanted them to be wiped out. Jonah has within his heart a degree of racism that's astounding. And it's going to be exposed in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Just know that. I encourage you to read it on your own. But just know that. And we're going to see what lengths he goes to. So this is the call of Jonah. I remember, um, I, in your mind, as you, as you read this, I want you to think through that segment of people that you have the hardest time with. What is that segment of people, and it could be ethnicity, it could be socioeconomic, um, it could be gender. I mean, it could be 
Anything that you have the most difficult time with. Um, and and that, you get an idea where Jonah's at in this. If you ever tell yourself, I'm not going to witness to that person. I'm not going to show mercy to that person. I'm not going to show love there. I'm not going to move there. If you ever have the audacity to say that, watch out. Because that's exactly where God may direct you. Because he wants to know whether you love God more than you hate them. He wants to know whether you love God more than you're afraid of that. This is worship. And so here's Jonah, and he gets this word. I remember one time I was working at New Life Camp, and I was uh, as a um, my first year in college, outside of high school, and I was we had you know children coming in, and they kind of give us the the heads up on on each child as they're coming in medically and other things. And um, I got Justin, um, and normally they would have this list of allergies and all the things that they've got. And this they were telling me that all the allergies of Justin, and it, I mean it was just kept rolling on and on. And it says he has a, a mild form of, of muscular dystrophy. dystrophy. And I was thinking, oh, okay, what does that mean? He said, well, he's a bedwetter. Um, I, it was my job to take care of the cabin. Um, so that meant I'm going to be changing a lot of sheets that week. Um, and he comes in, and he's just awkward, looks funny, and he smells funnier. And I'm my job to be his counselor and uh, I'd like to say that I was showing the love of Christ but I wasn't and there's a thing where he wanted to be with me just wanted to hang wherever I went and I didn't want him hanging around with me and I couldn't do anything about it I'm just like why and I remember it was, it was campfire night, okay? This happens two times in the week, and campfire night is kind of like the, it's the big night. People sharing testimonies, but it also matters where you sit, who sits with you. Um, I had visions of, of sitting with friends. Justin had a vision of sitting with me. And I'm just thinking, oh, Lord, I don't want him sitting next to me. And I could just sense a scripture come to my mind. As much as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And I just realized, oh, God, forgive me. I am treating you like so much dirt. And it just totally changed my perspective. And that was my Justin. You've got your own Justin, or group of Justins. But I'm just going to present to you that it could very well be that God is calling you to them to show how much you love them love God? Do you love God more than you hate them? Do you trust God more than you're afraid of them? Now, we're going to look at Jonah's reaction here. Uh, Verse 3. But Jonah, (laughs) but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. All right. Now, he knows theologically, he's a prophet, he's a man of God, you can't escape God's presence, you cannot get away from him, he is everywhere, he's omniscient, but he is, what he's saying is, he is running away from relationship. I don't want that, God. I don't want that intimacy. If intimacy with you requires that, then no thanks, let me go my own way. And so, basically, he's, he's hanging up the prophet mantle. I don't want that, God. 
So what is he? He flees to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa. That's modern-day Tel Aviv. And found a ship going to Tarsus. Now, Tarsus means nothing to us, but just know in your mind that it's probably in Spain. And in that, that thinking, that was the edge of the world. I mean, you could not get much further than Spain. Because then, what would be the point of Columbus? I mean, that's, he's at the edge of the world. That's about 1,500 miles from where he's at. And it's the opposite direction of Nineveh. Nineveh is 500 miles uh, east of where he's at, Tarsus 1,500 miles west by sea. So it's kind of like God telling you go to Cape Hatteras instead you go to Seattle, all right? Um, so that's kind of the, the thought here. It's not, you know, you can't even claim that you got lost, all right? Um, so here's Jonah doing this. Um, and it's, it's, it's interesting how this is phrased. Notice the word down, um, it's a play of words in the Hebrew that you see this phrase. He went down to Joppa okay, and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went aboard to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind. You see the storm that comes in. But you, you see this phrase where he goes down into the innermost parts of the boat. Um, and then you see this phrase again where he went down to a deep sleep. And the word deep sleep is, is it's like uh, the same word when Adam was put to sleep and the rib was taken out. I mean, it's surgical sleep, all right? He's, he's out. And he has this, this repeating of going down, going down to Joppa, going down to the ship, going down asleep. And it's, it's this phrase. And what you see is the rebellion of Jonah that grows worse and worse. Now, you need to understand, according to everybody else, everybody else, only God knows the rebellion of Jonah. Everybody else sees Jonah as what? prophet he is a man of god he has stood in the trenches he has preached to us he's given us words of doom he's showed us called us to repentance he is a man of god according to everybody else only god knows that jonah is rebellious listen we can be in that same boat where we do all the good things and everyone looking at you today would say he is a great she is a great man a woman of faith in christ they're obedient they're a good church member. They're a good person. Uh, they are a model. But listen, God knows, God knows how we may be masking surrender with good works. Sometimes when we don't really surrender everything, we just do good stuff. And it's going to be found out. I think about this in Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus exposes the sheep from the goats. And he says the difference is, is their surrender in their heart and doing God's will. And they said, Lord, Lord, and all kinds of things. Understand that if Jonah was here, he would fit right in. He looks like a prophet of God, known as a prophet of God, but God knows his heart. And all the while, he's running away from God. I wonder, are you running away from intimacy with God because of God has called you to do something where it's too much, too high a price? You don't mind going to church, but when it comes time to whatever God's speaking to you in your heart, you said, that's No. I draw my line there. You cannot draw your line in obedience before God. He will not be your Lord. You can't do that. It's not your place. And Jonah tries to do that. We can rebel also by how we say, I don't want to share the gospel. I don't want to broadcast. 
I don't want to talk about Jesus. I, I don't mind serving him. I can serve behind the scenes. But please don't ask me to engage in a conversation with someone else about Jesus Christ. I'm just going to tell you, you don't have that call. Jesus makes that call, and he has called every disciple to be a discipler, according to Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. It's his decision. Now, first of all, some things to recognize about God so far in the call of Jonah and the rebellion of Jonah. First, God calls people to serve. He calls people to serve. That's how he works. And the second message we're going to see as we look through this story is the extent of God's love for all people. The extent of God's love for you and for all people. It's going to be apparent in here. The third thing we're going to learn is God's presence is everywhere. But one of the things I love about this passage is, is God's power over everything. You get As we read this together, we said... But the Lord hurled, and it has the idea of throwing something, the spear, hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was, it was done in such a way that these experienced sailors knew this was unusual. This is something of God in this. I love the fact that Jonah talks about the appointments of God. God appointed a storm. God appointed and prepared a great fish. God appointed a plant. God even appointed a worm. And he appointed a great wind. And Jonah, you see God's sovereignty over storms, over fish, over little crawling worms and plants. And you see God's power and his working in all things to produce his glory. But then you also see in the book of Jonah that people have real choices. Real choices and to pay the consequences. Now mankind tries to figure that out and systemize it. We can't do it. But I love Jonah because it's got both. God's appointing worms, plants, fish, storms, and Jonah making real decisions with real consequences. The rebellion of Jonah. We see God's power. Even in the rebellion, God's power is still there. And I just want to bring to you, it's not how much you surrender. It's that you surrender all. Now, just kind of watch the story as it is unfolded. So you got the storm, verse 5, the mariners are afraid, the seamen are afraid, they cry out to his God. These are not followers of Yahweh, okay? These are just everyday folks that are in the different areas, and they all have their different gods, um, and, and they're praying out, say, God, whatever God, help us. Just, we are in a dire strait. Notice verse 5, Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the sea and had laid down and was fast asleep. He's in the midst of his rebellion. Listen, as I think about that progression of Jonah, you may not be thinking, I'm going to flat out rebel on God, but you've got that reservation in your life. You say, God, I will do whatever you ask me to do except that. That exception. I just want to let, give you a word of warning. Look at Jonah's life. When you have that exception where you say, God, I give you all things except this one little area of my life, that exception... That spot doesn't stay contained. It grows. And you see it growing in Jonah's life where he said, no, 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 no. And now it's flat out rebellion. You cannot, it may have been just a little bit of envy that you had with someone else, but now it blows up into some kind of food disorder. It may be just a little bit of coving, but now you're ruled by greed. It may be just a little bit of entertainment of, of watching something, but now it's going down to full out adultery. It has that nature. Sin doesn't stay contained. And Jonah's life, you see it. He was a respectable prophet, a man of God, stood against uh, the masses, 
But yet there's a little bit of sin, and it took control of his life. What will God do to get rid of that little bit of sin? So he's asleep. The captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. It's interesting. This pagan, unbelieving person is telling Jonah what God had told him to do. Get up and call out. Get up and preach. He says, get up is the same word of calling out to preach. Get up and talk to your God. When we have unbelievers having to tell believers what it means to walk with God, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And here, that's exactly what's happening with Jonah's life. Perhaps God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Listen, you think the sin is just yours and yours alone? The sin of Jonah is causing a whole ship of folks to go down into the sea. Your rebellion before God, what you don't surrender, what you think no one knows about but God alone, it has ramifications. It will impact others. And it's doing the same with these men. So verse 7, all right, what are we going to do? Praying's not working. Let's cast lots. So it's kind of like dice. You had a couple stones. One was a dark color on one side and one was a light color on one side. And they throw the dice, ask a question, and depending on if it all comes up light, then that's a yes. If it comes out dark, then that's a no. Um, their thought is God can reveal himself and his will through dice, which, by the way, uh, the disciples also did when they were trying to find someone to replace Judas. Uh, God can make his will be known as easily through dice as it is through voting. Interesting thought. But nonetheless, that's what these men are doing. And so the lot falls in Jonah. Someone to blame for this? Yes. Going through the line. Is it Jonah? Yes. Are you sure? Yes, 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 yes. Okay, Jonah, what's, what's the deal? Verse 8. What, what, whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? Uh, so can you imagine their face? Oh, yeah, I'm a prophet of God who is God over heavens and the sea. Every once in a while when I'm talking to someone uh, and we've had a discussion and things have been revealed, words have been spoken that maybe they probably should not use. And then they ask you, well, what do you do? <laughs> I'm a pastor. It's, it's fun. It's a little fun to watch their reaction. Uh, so the thing is, though, that's going on with Jonah, and Jonah is seeing their reaction, and it's not so much fun anymore. You're what? You did what? It is amazing what we will rationalize saying, I will rebel against God when someone who is an unbeliever hears the story and is astounded at our rebellion. You, you're running away from God who made the heavens. You can't do that, Jonah. They don't know anything about God, but they know that much. Isn't it amazing if someone can look into your life who's not a believer in God and say to you, you believe that God made the heavens and the earth, but, and you believe there's a hell, you believe that there's a Jesus Christ, and that there's only one way to salvation, but yet you don't tell people about Jesus Christ? What do you, this was exposed on me one time when I was in the college classroom, and it, and it was just flat out asked me in front of everybody, do you believe in a hell like this? And he just described hell as the Bible might describe it, and, and asked me in front of everyone else, do you believe that if we don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, as Savior and Lord, that everyone's going to go to hell? And I just felt stripped in front of everyone. I said, yes. And the question that was left hanging was, why haven't us that you believe that. When a believer will see what you believe, will they be shocked at our disobedience? 
Will they be shocked at her description? And here this, this, these seafarers are shocked. And then, verse 10, they were exceedingly afraid. and said to him, what have you done? For they knew that he was fleeing for the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then he said to them, what shall we do to you? How do we solve this problem? How can we be kept from dying? The sea may quiet down because it was growing worse and worse. What they were already afraid of, the sea is getting worse. Now, look at his act, reaction. Verse 12, he said to them, here's the solution. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it was because of me that this great tempest had come upon you. Jonah's solution, in his eyes, the only solution, God's told him to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go. He hates the Ninevites. He hates the Syrians. He doesn't want any part of them. He wants to see God kill them. So God calls him on it. And the question is, how can we solve this? How can we get uh, save ourselves? Jonah, what's the solution? His solution is, well, just throw me overboard. Does this strike you a little bit funny? That's the only solution? What about repentance? Jonah could say, well, if I ever repent of my sin and confess it before God and, and turn, Jonah doesn't go there. Why doesn't Jonah go there? Why doesn't he bring up repentance? Because he is saying, I hate the Assyrians so much that I would rather be thrown into the sea than for me to repent. Talk about racism. Talk about disobedience, rebellion. Jonah says, uh-uh, just throw me overboard. Now, why didn't Jonah say, well, let me just walk overboard? <laughs> why didn't he just walk the plank? No, they had to throw him. And I don't know if maybe he was sensing the, the guilt that these men were having by association and the fact they were faring him off in rebellion. And so he's saying perhaps maybe this is a way for them to remedy it, to show before God that they are in, in no part of that. I don't know. I'm just guessing on that one. But nonetheless, that's the solution. I'm going to present to you that, that Jonah disobeys not because he's afraid Jonah disobeys not because he he doesn't believe God Jonah disobeys because he does believe God that God will give a word and if they will repent that God will forgive God Jonah believes that and wants nothing a part of it Jonah disobeys God because he is given an exception before God that I will obey God no matter what or I will not obey God as long if he asked me to do this because I hate them. I hate them. Now, he gets thrown over. And then notice the, the, the sailors, their conscience. Um, verse 12, he, he, he gives them the solution. Verse 13, they're thinking, uh, Jonah, that's crazy. You're going to die if you do that. that. That's not a working solution. All right? We're going we're gonna to keep on rowing. And they are rowing. Verse 13, rowing hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more to tempt us against them. It became obvious, we cannot go against God. Listen, when God is at work, you need to understand that when we are working against the Great Commission, we are rowing against God. We are rowing against Him, and it's going to get worse and worse. And so the temptest is going against Him. Verse 14, finally, they call out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on his innocent blood, for you, O oh Lord, have done as it pleased you. So, they're saying, we're, our hands are tied. Don't, don't hold us guilty for throwing this man. He's going to surely die. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. 
It was such an obvious storm from God. And when he was put in, it was such an obvious solution. Notice verse 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They worshiped God when they saw the power of God at work. And so they had already thrown all the animals overboard, so they must have made vows and gotten back to the land and said, we're going to worship God. Isn't it amazing how God will use even disobedience? God will use even our disobedience to bring people to the Lord. What extent God will do for the love of his people. And that's what he's doing. And then, verse 17, let's talk about the deliverance of Jonah. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. <laughs> wow. Um, so, let me ask you, was the storm God's punishment? Was the great fish God's punishment? I would say No. Because it's not nearly severe enough. The storm and the great fish was God's deliverance. If God really had given up on Jonah, he'd let Jonah go. Smooth sailing all the way away from his presence. You'll find that there's always a ship available for you to escape God. There's always a way out for you to be disobedient. It'll be easy for you to disobey. Sometimes people say, well, you have great great peace about going this course of action. And this course of action is clearly in opposition to what the Word of God has said. So let me ask you, where did the great peace come from? Is it beyond Satan to grant peace? If that peace will ensure that you disobey God? Can Satan do things like that? I'd say he can. In other words, it's not just the great peace that you may be feeling that says, okay, this course of action must be right. That is not a valid direction. Jonah was at so much peace, he fell deep asleep. But when God interrupted, it could be that you just numbed your conscience. Yeah, that's peaceful. Your conscience doesn't have any more power in your life. But when God brings a storm, it was God's method of deliverance. Do you understand that the trials and adversities in our life is, could very well be God's deliverance because he doesn't want to give us up to our own sinful path. If God was giving us up, he just let us go on down to Tarshish and away from his presence. But the storm and the growing intensity of the storm, even the fish in itself, became God's method of deliverance. And so that was one of the reasons why if things happen in our church body, if things happen in my life that are difficult and hard and that's not good, it's not, it's not pleasant at all, I'm thinking, well, God, perhaps maybe this is your method of deliverance. Because if God will allow us to not be filled with the Spirit of God, to have some sense of Christian faith, but not be obedient to God, then isn't that the worst thing possible for a church to be in? Because they will go innumerable years without having impact of God, having the form of godliness, but denying His power. But if something happens in our church where it causes us to get on our knees and say, God, am I right before you? Am I humble before you? Then that storm is the deliverance of God. And we thank God for it. We praise Him for it. And apply that in your life. And so, the Lord appointed a great fish 
to swallow up Jonah. I do not know what type of fish that is. There have been innumerable books and articles written about what kind of fish this is. I'm going to tell you, it is a great fish. It's a large fish, okay? I can't tell you it's a well. I can't tell you it's a great white. I can't tell you if it's a grouper, okay? It's a great fish, big enough for a whole body to be in. And so Jonah was in the belly of fish. Three days, three nights. Verse, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. All right. You get the time frame? Storm, huge storm, thrown overboard, great sea. It comes calm. It's like a pond. A big fish comes, swallows you up. You're in the belly of a fish. One day, two days, three days, then Jonah prays to his God. (laughs) Jonah, you're kind of slow. I mean, how many of us have been praying a long time ago in the storm? Are getting thrown out of the storm? Or when the big fish came? Or in the moment he felt the mouth come over her head? Or one day, I mean, three days. Then he prays to his God. This is the extent of sin bound in our heart. Racism can take you over into a sea, to a storm, and it'll take you into the belly of a well three days before there's repentance. And I would say still, it was half-hearted repentance. And Jonah comes out. The extent that God will do to show his love and mercy. You think, what is God doing? He's prepared this great fish. He's, you know, he had it come right exactly at that, that time so that when Jonah was there at that moment, he could be there and they would consult. That's what you call a divine appointment of the wrong kind. Um, also that Nineveh could one day hear a word of God's judgment and an opportunity to repent. These impaling, skin-flaying, brutal, cruel type of folks who will one day wipe out his hometown. But I think even greater, and and there's more to be seen, of God's mercy on Jonah. The great extent that he went to bring this rebellious heart to himself. God's mercy. You see, here's the deal. I'm Jonah. And you're Jonah. In fact, the Jews have a tradition that when they, uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, they will read Jonah and then they, at the end, will say, we are Jonah. I think perhaps maybe we could read this together and after reading it, we could as a church body say, we are Jonah. But we're also Nineveh. Jesus looks at Jonah, Matthew 12, 44, as Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus made a very point to say, I want you to compare me with Jonah. See how we are the same? He was in the belly of the well three days, pointing to the fact that he would one day be in the tomb three days. But then also, in a point of comparison, not only to see how they're the same, but see how they're different. Jesus 
comes in the Garden of Gethsemane and says, not my will be done, but yours be done. Where Jonah says, not your will be done, but my will be done. Where, John, where Jesus comes and, and sets his face like a flint marching up to Jerusalem, Jonah marches away by sea, away. Where Jesus comes and, and says, it is, it is the pleasure of the Father to give my body uh, for this sacrifice. The body has been prepared for me. Jonah says, there's been a well that's been prepared for me. Where Jonah says, I am glad to give the message of doom. Jesus on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Where where Jonah is mad when people repent, Jesus rejoices and is rejoicing the presence of angels when any sinner repents and comes to Christ. The deliverance of Jonah. When I was looking over my notes, uh, it wasn't in the sermon, but it was in the next one, um, in, in Jonah 3 and 4, where I just had wrote down, I never forgotten the story, I just didn't know I'd done it with this passage of Jonah, where as a college student, uh, my second year in college, I was working in a church, and um, had the opportunity to watch this video, it was exposing the um, gay and, and lesbian agenda, and it was a, a gay pride parade that was um, on this video, and I was watching this video, and i never really seen these scenes before, um, I was maybe 20, and I just got angry, infuriated at the scenes before me. And there's one scene especially I'll never forget where um, a guy dressed um, in drag is on the stage and they're singing and they're singing this song that God is on our side because she is gay too. And I heard that line and I was just thinking, oh God. And I was so angry. And I just thought, God... Why don't you just strike them down there with this blasphemous statement? And no lightning came. And I was just thinking, your mercy, God, is on another level that I don't know. I don't get. I was sharing the story with a, a guy that is, um, in my mind, much older because he's married. Um, and uh, he was sharing the office with me and... Um, sharing my story and reflections with him about this. And it's like, man, God's so merciful. And he looked at me and he said, don't you realize that hatred, the anger you felt about that particular sin pales in comparison over God's hatred and anger over your own sin? And I just was speechless. Oh, no, I've, I've never thought about that. I'm just going to be honest with you a little bit. When, when I was asking these questions about what is that segment, that group of people that you have the hardest time with, and I'm going to tell you, just being honest, my, I have the hardest time dealing and loving with homosexual men as a believer in Christ. Effeminate men I have difficulty with. And I'm not saying this. Is, I'm just being honest with you and I'm confessing something before you but I'm going to confess this before you as it is a sin homosexuality is in rebellion against God and for anyone to come to Christ they're going to have to turn from that sin and turn to Christ 
But as I read this, at the same time, I'm getting questions about my role with the marriage amendment and what will be done and um, taking on a greater role of responsibility and, and task and energy. And I want with all my heart to see a marriage amendment pass that lifts up God's definition of marriage, not mankind's definition of marriage. But hear me. We cannot at the same time say, let's not pray for, love, and share the gospel with people who do not regard marriage in the same way, who see homosexual as acceptable. And I'm just being honest with you because I think if I shared this passage and didn't share that story I'm only I'm being Jonah <laughs> I'm being Jonah and I just want to say this before you because I know what it's like to have a segment of people that you just don't like and it's something that God works on my heart about and I'm just saying that if you're going to follow God he's going to work on your heart also and if you don't see God working on your heart about loving people and broadcasting the gospel, it may be because God is letting you sail to Tarshish without any storms. And that is the most dangerous spot to be in. Some of you perhaps maybe are metaphorically in the belly of a fish right now, and life is pretty miserable. And I would just challenge you. Turn to Christ. And the hardness of our sin, the hardness of our heart, we could go three days and three nights in the midst of the worst case scenario and still not turn to Christ. I plead before you, by the power of God, the whatever God's working through in his word, turn to him. I'm going to invite you to do that. To pray some of what Jonah's going to pray, to say, you are my Lord and my God. Whatever you say, you've got the right to say, and I will obey. Perhaps you're Nineveh and you need to repent and turn to the Lord. I invite you to do that this morning as we stand and sing, to know the forgiveness of Scripture. God's gone through great lengths to show you mercy and grace. Don't walk away from him now. He loves you. Will you embrace his love? He loves you. How do you do that? Confess your sin. Say, God, I'm not right. I need you. I need forgiveness. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again on the third day and make him your king by the grace of God to say, I want to live with him and for him. And as a confession you say before God, I'll be here to help you with that. There'll be others that'll be more than willing to help you with that and pray before God. Let's pray together.